Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing song for the dreaming of the world That we may dream as one With every voice, with every song We will move this world along I find guests doing world healing work all over the world Though you'll notice that a number of them are from the circles I frequent, like here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, or from word passed to me from listeners around the 30-plus stations that carry Northern Spirit radio programs, or from Quaker circles, where I know a lot of amazing activist folks as well. But the internet adds a lot of reach to all of us, and I ran into someone recently on Facebook who I realized needed looking into. I've traveled to Eastern Africa three times over the past 10 years and have met truly inspirational folks there, like with Friends Peace House and all the other great peace workers in Rwanda. So I'm linked with a number of Africans on the front lines of peace and justice. A few weeks ago, I connected with Helen Lunkuse Tanyinga of Uganda and proceeded to learn of the organization there she founded called Rape Hurts Foundation. When I saw the name of Helen's group, Rape Hurts, I understood implicitly that she was seeking to address an African problem with deep, deep cultural roots, demanding great strength and conviction. I've watched over my lifetime as we've continued to refine our own sensitivity to sex roles and violence, including the evolving sense of things like date rape or sexual harassment, and I realize that most areas of Africa are in a very different place in their thinking about stuff like rape and what's okay in treatment of women and children. I'll do my best now to head to Uganda, East Africa, via Skype, specifically the village of Bucharimba in the Kamuli district of that country, to talk to Helen Nkunse, founder of the Rape Hurts Foundation. Helen, thank you so much for joining me for Spirit in Action. Hello, thank you for hosting me here. It's so good to talk to you. We're reaching across the globe. For me, it's eight hours earlier than it is for you in Uganda. Do you work from early morning to very, very late into the night? Is this the normal work for a manager of Rape Hertz Foundation? Yes, I do. Actually, I start as early as six and I stop working at around 11 p.m. You must have so much energy to be able to do that. Do you like your work? Yes, uh, it's part of me. I am actually a woman rights activist. I really enjoy to help out women that are really suffering and are going, that are going through hell. I'm helping out girls, women, and children, plus involving in men, the youth that have dropped out of school, that are boys and they really need education. So basically, I enjoy doing my work. You founded Rape Hurts back in 2008. And I guess in 2008, you would have been about 25 years old. Is it unusual to start such an important work when you're that young? 
Yes, talking about 2008, I'd gone through a lot of hell growing up. As a child, I went through a lot of torture until I reached around 24 years when I, I decided to make my own decision. Uh, being a victim of rape at an age, it's not only the time that I was raped, but since it's uh, the critical year of rape that I faced, it made me up to form up this group as early as possible because I saw a lot of girls going through a lot of dangers of rape and no, no one was really concerned. So I grew up knowing that with time I have to fight for this thing to end because there are multiple practices of rape in my country for young children, especially girls, and no one is really concerned. At 25, when I got a chance, I started forming up this organization. You were 11 when you were raped. In your village, Buchirimba, what is a typical age for girls to get married? Girls are getting married from the age of 14. 14, you're really ready and everyone is looking at you as a marriage material and a source of income for the father to get cows, goats and all the things through dowry. Because when you get married as a girl, when you're married off, it's a payment. Your father has to earn from you. So if he lays, it means he's losing a lot of potential men that want young girls to marry off. So basically, they have to send you off as early as 14 so that the family gets the wealth from you. Is a husband usually older than the woman who's getting married? Yes, they are always older. And some of them even are too old for the girl. For example, we find a man of 50 years marrying a girl of 14 years, and it's just okay with the community, as long as he's able to pay what they want. I'm trying to cover some cultural things that are probably different in Uganda than they are in the United States. And that's why I'm covering some of this. As I've already told you before we were on the radio, Helen, I lived in Togo for two years. So I lived in a village where girls were married by the age of 15, and they were considered to be old maids, as we use the phrase in the United States. They were considered to be old maids if they were 18 and not married. Are you married? Yes, I am married. And how long ago did you get married? I got married in 2014, but I had my first child at 20 years. This was through intoxication by my boyfriend. So after making me pregnant, he abandoned me, and I started to find my way out of it. So I've been single until 2014. 2013, I met my husband, and now we're married with three children now. Well, congratulations on that. Is he a partner in your work? No, he's quite assurance. Yeah, he's working with Coca-Cola. So he's really caught up with his work, but he's supportive when I need help. So he doesn't do the work with you, but he's supportive of that. Is it unusual to find men who are supportive of the kind of work you do, or is it pretty commonplace? I was looking at your board members, and I saw maybe four of them, I think, are men out of the ten. Is that unusual for Ugandan men to be supportive of this kind of work? So unusual. Actually, even my husband, we had an argument since we met. I was explaining to him and telling him that I am a woman activist human activists. Like, I really look out for people's rights. So as long as you're in the rightful direction to do your right, I'm just okay with it. So he had a problem with it. And I'm like, no, you should understand. You should look at what your mama went through. Look at what your sisters are going through. We come together and we combine the facts and we look at it in one angle. You find yourself that such problems will end. So in the end of the day, I found him coming to me and supporting me. If you talk to them, some of them understand. Those are the few that are liberal and blessed, so they do understand. 
but really in my areas of operation it's really unusual you find that men are not letting women come sensitize them about life even if it's women empowerment anything that involves women coming up into a meeting men are not being supportive so it's something rare you find that only 10% out of 100 are supportive in this because they believe you're creating a different mindset in their women's life you're spoiling them because remember we're supposed to be submissive even if it is affecting our health our life our right you have to be submissive so if you tell him that no if our man is just from us she's a cesarean she has just given birth you shouldn't make love to her he's not really comfortable with that because he is looking at a woman as an object that he has to use anytime he wants so if you advise women to come into that direction you find that a lot of men will not agree with that and they will just cross you out well i'm glad that your husband that you're educating him and many other men and women i assume it's difficult to educate the women too because they've been raised believing this is the right order that women should be submissive to men and that this is what's right Is it hard to convince women too? It's really hard. Actually, most people that I'm dealing with are the victims. It's hard to convince a person who has not felt the problem into their heart that there is a trouble ahead. If you don't do this or if you behave like this, they don't look it in that direction until when someone faces it. So, what we're trying to do is that we are training these women that have gone through hell, that have been victims of rape, victims of domestic violence to come on board and support us and we work together with them and help these young girls especially their daughters and children to see that something changes you don't need to reach at a time when you're in trouble then you run for help it's better to guard yourself from the beginning so we are sensitizing them in one way that they can understand that there is rape within marriage because some women are raped and they don't believe that they're raped because they believe that their husbands have the legal right to have sex whenever they want it even if the women don't want it exactly So I'm trying to look at that way and also if I have let me say women are doing a lot of cultivation you find that it's a woman digging it's a woman who does everything harvesting and everything in the end of the day when it's time to harvest though after the ladies harvested everything it's at home you find that is a man selling off and giving the woman nothing out of the money sold you find these women are going hungry there is no food for their children they don't have even any financial benefit from the work they've done and it's the man who has everything and this man gets that money goes and pays bright price for another woman so you find such trouble that women are going through so i'm trying to sensitize them train them and tell them no we should try to end this not in a violent manner like war or fight but at least let's talk to our husbands let's get other mechanisms of empowering ourselves like we should not depend only on men Why do you think it is that most women marry in Uganda? Again, we're talking about you living in the Bucharimba area of Uganda, Kamuli district. You're living in this area and women in the United States probably do not marry for the same reasons that women in Uganda marry or maybe they do. In your case, you just married a couple years ago. Why did you marry? Did you marry so that you would have a husband who would support you or was there a different reason and why do other women in your area marry? What is the function of marriage for you? Me as Helen, I I'd seen a lot of trouble that I went through. Basically, I didn't marry for support. I married for intimacy. Those sometimes you go into a struggle that it's not really happening the way you thought it would be. I am, God has blessed me the grace that I can work 
for my own. I can try to find mechanisms of supporting myself, even without a husband. That is why I was a single mother for almost eight years with my daughter. So basically it's not. But for Ugandan women, actually 98% of women, okay, uh, maybe I've exaggerated, let's say 8% of these women are marrying off for support. You find a young girl going up for a married man of 90 years, 80, 75 years. Why? Because they need support. This man, maybe he has educated all his children. He's doing well. He has the money. So it means he just needs a companion. And if there is this young girl that is poor, broke, he will go for this man, basically for his money, so that he supports her and supports her family. Maybe the mother is struggling. So basically, women here marry for support. Though the innocent ones are marrying because of intimacy, but in the end of the day, because these men end up frustrating them, they leave them with children. You find these young same girls going up for other men because they need support. They have children that have been left behind because of a careless men that they married to. And they find themselves going for, into a relationship, not because she's in love, but because she has a, a lot to carry and she needs support. Another thing we should talk about, Uganda, and as I was talking to you before, I think you said about 60% of the country, the people there identify as Christian. And the other 40%, are they non-religious? Are they Muslim? Are they Jewish? What are the other 40% if they're not Christian? We have Africans, those ones who believe in traditional religion. They believe in cultural religion. They call them the Jajamwangas. They believe in small gods of Africa. The biggest, after Christians, Muslims have the biggest, the second biggest population, then African culture, African religion. It's sometimes called animism. That's what they would call it in Togo. When I was living in Togo, which is 40 years ago, I think they said 10% of the country was Christian, 10% of the country was Muslim, and 80% was animist. So the native religion, as you would call it, the African religion, was the majority, large majority, of what was around me in my village. So our problems with rape, does this present differently depending on the religion of the folks? Muslims can have multiple wives. Most Christians do not allow multiple wives, but then the men still may have sex outside of marriage, infidelity, you know. And African religions, I don't know what their attitudes are. They're probably polygamous themselves. So are there different attitudes about this depending on if it's Christian or Muslim or African religion? Yes, there is. For example, when I was young, I used to believe that being a Christian calls for a person to be fully committed to God. Like, you should follow the Ten Commandments, then you go for the New Testament, you talk about love your neighbors, you love yourself. You find, ah, this is what I live thinking. But to my surprise, when I grew up, actually, Christians and Muslims are doing dubious marriage practices more than anyone. Because the guys who have frustrated most of the girls are Christians. So basically, I've failed to understand the meaning of Christianity in Uganda. It's frustrating to me because the people who are doing things that you don't expect to do are Christians. And these are churchgoers. They go every Sunday to church. They pray every day. They are fasting. But in the end of the day, they are doing different things. That They are having different patterns, both men and women. For example, I have someone I will not mention. He, was, he built a church and he had eight ways. And now the pastor, he gets a pastor outside to come and preach in his church. And the pastor advises him, please, sir, 
I'm advising you, please, at least send off these other women since you decided to become a Christian and you remain with one wife. I'm telling you, the man, that gentleman, just away the pastor from church, he said, you don't know what you're talking about. So who do you want me to keep this wife for? I cannot leave my wife just for the case of being a Christian. So if you cannot preach in my church, get out. That is Christianity. For the Muslim, it's okay. And for the Muslim, they officialize it, which is different with Christianity. They finalize one marriage and leave the other girls in struggle because there is always one wife at home. And then these other women, they just make them pregnant or build them houses somewhere. Then he sneaks, he lies to the wife, he's going for a trip, maybe a business trip. But honestly, he's married somewhere else. And what about those of the African religion? How do they practice? Those ones, actually, they are beyond. Because remember, they use even African magic. So he doesn't need to convince a lot of women. He just tells this woman, I love you. So if you want to be safe, you don't want to die, just follow me. So you find, like, some of them are having, there was an instance where a woman, a man died when he had over such wives in his home in the same house. And you ask these women how they came into this marriage. They don't even know. But they were scared. And if you'd refuse, I have an instance where I have my cousin, a traditional healer, a traditional doctor, told her that I want to marry you. And the girl said, no, I'm still keeping my parents. This guy told her, if you refuse to marry me, you're going to spend the rest of your life keeping your parents, and you never walk out of that home. Up to the, this lady is bedridden. From that day when that man mentioned that thing, she never moved out of the home. She became paralyzed the whole body. And so the thought is that using native magic, he did that. Yes. I saw a number of very strange things when I was in Togo as well. So that's one way that African indigenous religion, how they practice. It strikes me that women in Uganda are marrying for support, whereas men are marrying maybe not for intimacy, maybe just for sex, maybe for companionship. So there are two different reasons to get married there. In the United States, I think that both men and women would describe that they're marrying for love as the normal thing. How common is that, that a man and a woman, maybe like you and your husband, how common is it in Uganda that both the man and the woman are marrying for love, for companionship, because they wish to share a life? The early marriages, those are passed out before I was born. It was basically women married for companions. The African men are never satisfied with love. Actually, in my tribe, they say that a Toga man has too much love to have only one wife. So for them, they keep on marrying other women. For example, a person like my mom, she married because of companion. She had intimacy for my father. She loved my father. That is why she decided to travel wherever she came from because she's not from that region to come and marry my father. But today, it's not really common. People are marrying for strategies. When girls realize that men of today are not really honest with their love, they look out, what does the man have? Does he have anything to sustain me? Can he sustain my family? I have my siblings. They're not going to school. Can he be able to take care of them? If the answer is yes, she'll get married. In the end of the day, both sides have lost meaning. The men and the women have lost meaning of marriage. So I could say the ratio is 1 to 10 women that are marrying genuinely out of love. And is that different in the village versus in large city? Yes. Of course, women in the village, some of them are still having the innocent soul. 
and the town girls are really crazy. <laughs> the girls in the villages are marrying still because of love, but sometimes they're married because of the forces back home. They're forcing you to marry earlier because they believe you're going to lose the value if you delay to get married. Secondly, they are scared of you getting pregnant from their home. So they send you off early so that they don't face the dangers of early pregnancies at home. So if they realize there is a man playing around with you, they will just call him, please, if you love our daughter, this is how much you can provide. You know, I'm talking a lot, Helen, about the culture of Uganda because, again, so many of the listeners here to Spirit in Action in the United States will not be familiar with how decisions are made there. And this all informs what rape means in a culture. In the United States, there's considerable attention now to things that we call date rape, or there's rape in many more sensitized forms. In the United States, I think very few people find it acceptable that a woman be raped like you were when you were 11 years old. Most people would be horrified by that and would say the man should be punished. That's true in the United States now, but I don't know that that was true 100 years ago in the same way. Would you be willing to talk a bit about your experience with being raped? Is this okay? No problem. So could you describe what happened? Having grown up in a village, no modernized system. The area is bushy. A girl child is a labor of the day. We were supposed to fetch water, fetch firewood, go in the garden, and we have to go to school because we needed education. And my mother, having loved us to go to school, she made sure we attend school. So on that third day, I came back from school at around 5 p.m. I reached home at around 6 so I was sent to fetch water and firewood because it went the same direction. So you go fetch water and carry a jerry can of water and the fire on top. And the area where I was calling was really dark. It's a forest. The well is really bushy. So when I went there, it was dark. It was in the dark and it had come dark since it's a forest. And it's when I found a weed. I was alone. Because I never had anyone to defend me then. I got, just got into this ugly moment by this crazy man. I would call him crazy, though he wasn't crazy. He pulled me into the bush. I tried to scream, but because no, there were homesteads were very far, no one could help me. And that is how I encountered my worst night in ever, my life of experience. I was raped, and it was misery anyway. It's something hard to really explain. Well, I think we understand that, the horror of it. I haven't lived it myself, but I did have one girlfriend who was raped. She was 22 at the time, and I remember my anger at that. If there had been people nearby and you yelled for help, would they come and stop this man? Or would many people say it's not our problem? Or how would people think about it back then and now? According to what I've realized, Rape for a girl child in Africa is not really something that people look at it as a problem. Being a girl, they look at you, you're almost having your period, you've started your adolescence. They believe anything about sex you wanted. So I don't think they could have helped me because their attitude is always to protect the man and to protect the community. They look at rape as if you report a man that they know, men that they know, because basically people who do rape, in villages are the people that you know. These are the people you've grown up with or the people you've, who have seen you growing. They believe that they should keep the community peace, meaning that if they get this man who has raped you and put him in prison, 
you're going to cause these communities, the, the, the neighbor, not to work with another neighbor because people will divide themselves. Me, as Helen, when I was raped, no one was there to support me apart from my mother. And she's a Muganda. She's coming from another region of the country. So no one was there to listen to her because people say, if we take this gentleman to prison, it means that there are going to be a war between the families and the community. And yet they want community peace. So they had to solve things within, and everything was shut down, and they made my mom to keep quiet. What I'm trying to say, even if they find you raped, or they find you being raped, because these people who rape us are the people they know, or the people someone they know about, no one can support a woman. What they will do is to come together. They speak out about it, and that is the end of the day. They have, the elders have come into a discussion and agree on something. The best thing they can do is to tell the man who has raped you, to pay some little money to your father so that nothing goes ahead because they want to keep the community peace. So they might get some reparations, some payment for the fact that they were spoiling your daughter, but they wouldn't want to punish him severely. No. Because they're afraid of ruining his reputation and of tearing the community apart. Is that what happened when you were 11 and you were raped? Actually, for me, nothing really happened, not even a penny. Not, they didn't do anything. Because my mom is in Uganda and she's coming from different parts of the country, she had no defense, and she was the only person supporting us. My father had become a drunkard. No one would listen, even listen to him even when he was speaking. So my mom could not defend herself alone. I was in Kenya back in December, and I was not terribly far from you because I was in the western provinces of Kenya where Quakers are concentrated. And one of the places that we visited that we took part in a celebration, there is a man and a woman who had been married, and she was from a different tribe some distance away. This applies to your situation. And she and her husband, again from a different tribe, had had a peaceable marriage which was unusual. It was considered to be unusual. So they had a very big celebration where the wife's family brought a number of gifts, including a sheep and a cow and all kinds of clothes for all of the relatives to celebrate the fact that they had a peaceful marriage. In Uganda, is a peaceful marriage as unusual as these people that I was visiting in Kenya experienced it? Is marital violence, marital rape, men beating women... Is that terribly common in Uganda as well? It's very, very common. Actually, it is a daily thing. You just find a few men that can do that. But gender-based violence, where men are battling women, it's really common here. And for intermarriages, it's just changing slightly because of a few that have gotten educated. But women who married their husbands from different religions suffered a lot. For example, me, my mother was really hated by the, my father's relatives. They never liked her and they never liked us. So we grew up in a struggle for love. No one liked us because the mother is in Uganda. And on the side of my mother, it was the same thing. We were never liked because they looked at us as destitute or, I would say, bastards. Because the tribe of my mom is a bit civilized. So they looked at the tribe of my father's are no tribe. They never considered us as people, only insults of abuse. So both sides were fighting, and we were not like, so we were in the, in the center of domestic violence on both sides, both my mother's side and both my father's side. But of recent, I would not say that it's really happening, that men 
intermarriages now. I think people have really changed in the attitude of intermarriage, at least for that case. But for domestic violence, it's still practical today. It's still, and it's still a lot. Folks, we're speaking today with Helen Nunkuse. She's in Uganda. Her village is Bucherimba, which is in the Kamuli district of Uganda. Back in 2008, she founded an organization called Rape Hurts. The Rape Hurts Foundation can be found on the net at rapehurts.org. And we'll have that link on Northern Spirit Radio. This is Spirit in Action, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production. On the web, find us at northernspiritradio.org with over 12 years of our programs for free listening and download. You'll find links to our guests, like to Helen Lunkuse. You'll find a place to post comments, and we love your feedback. So please post a comment when you visit. There's also a place to donate. This is full-time work, and it survives only because of your donations. Even more important than supporting Northern Spirit Radio, though, is to support your local media. It's so important to have a local voice. There's some 33 stations nationwide in the U.S. that carry these programs. They're doing an invaluable service of providing you an alternate view, an alternate voice. So please remember to support your local community radio station. Helen Lunkuse, who we're speaking with, is a psychologist. Her bachelor's degree from the university was in psychology and environmental management. I want to get to that very soon, Helen. She's mother to hundreds. She's social worker, teacher, human defender, and the founder of Rape Hurts Foundation. Let's talk specifically about the work that you're doing, Helen, and the Rape Hurts Foundation. Number one, you have a board of directors, and one of the questions I had was whether men were supportive of your work. You said maybe 10% of the population would be supportive of the idea of women's equality. How does that reflect in the people who are on your board, men and women? My board of directors actually happy that they're supportive. Why? These are the guys that have gone through a lot. They've faced it all. We're looking at where a family, some of my board members, their fathers married 10 wives. So it means this gentleman has gone through a lot of hell. He has seen it all. He has suffered a lot of gender violence when he was a child. So I've come up with those people that are children of circumstances, children that have gone through hell, children that have suffered. We came together as a community as people that we can support our village to see that we don't go through the same situation. So I've put people of violence into the board, people who are seeking for love, who want to offer love to other people that have not gotten a chance. So my board members are really supportive with this, and they come at the... When I talk to them when I'm starting Rep Heart Foundation, I came to them and we talked and we discussed, and they agreed, and they looked at what their mothers are going through. Some of them children where their mothers are number 10, or number eight in their marriage. It means that they have nothing, have no value at their home. They are looked at by the elder sons of their man, of their father, as bastards. So they have no belonging. So when they look at what they went through, the hardship, the pain, they became supportive to this project of repart so that we can help the community and to talk to the men to speak to one woman so that children are not abandoned. So that children, they don't become pain. They don't really suffer violence because of the actions that has been done by their father or their mother. So they suffer a lot. They're not getting support because a man will have so many children by different wives and he'll move on. Did you get support from your child from the man who fathered your child? 
he never came back until when he realized I'm something. I got his call after those 10, because my daughter is now 11 years. I got his call in 2015 after knowing that Helen has become something. And he never wanted the daughter. He wants me back to marry him because right now he has 15 children. (laughs) (laughs) At the age of 35, he's having 15 children. So he came to me to become another wife and to have another child with me. Because in my culture, they believe that you should not give birth to a child alone. Like You have to add on other children so that the child can get joy and happiness. Otherwise, if the child is born alone, she will never be happy. So they encourage you, even if you've been a victim of rape or abuse, they encourage you to go back to that man and he makes you pregnant again so that the child is not alone. You don't like only children, as we call them in the United States. An only child is a lonely child. (laughs) Yes. So you started the Rape Hurts Foundation. And again, folks, the website is rapehurts.org. You can also find Rape Hurts Foundation on Facebook. The links are on nordenspiritradio.org. So the members of your board, they've experienced the problems with the system as it exists both the large number of children from different fathers and non-support of the mother. Some of them have grown up that way. The situation, as I see it in the United States, by the way, is there is way too much violence to women, but there's even more violence to men, usually from men. Are there board members who had to deal with violence from their fathers growing up as well? Oh, Yes, of course. If a man is having so many children, for example, if he's having like 10 children and more than 10, there is a struggle for support. He cannot support all of them. He finds himself hating children. An example is my husband. I'm sorry I didn't ask him for the permission to talk about this, but he was totally hated by his father. Actually, him having gone through all that, he said, I should stand for myself. And Because he lacked love. He wasn't loved. He became a loner. He has lived his life with strangers. He prefers to go out there and peel out whatever is paining it and exposing it because he never got anyone to speak to. There are many instances of such people who have gone through hell, but men. Another example was my uncle. He never liked his son. He loved all the girls, but he didn't like his son. So examples of men being violated by their father, there are so many. Me, my brothers actually were topically hated by my father. He chose to love the children of my other mother, mothers, compared to my brother. So in the work of the Rape Hurts Foundation, I guess I want to read the vision and mission that you have for the Rape Hurts Foundation. On your website, rapehurts.org, it says, The vision is a world in which women and children realize their full human rights, health, socioeconomic, and civic potential, and that your mission is to empower women to initiate and manage their social economic development processes through strengthening human rights protection, awareness, health and care, community participation, advocacy and service provision. Those are big missions that you've taken on. (laughs) There's a lot of work. It's not a surprise that you don't get much time to sleep. So you've been able to pull together a board of 10 members. Is it three or four of them are men? Four of them are men. So you've been able to bring together both men and women for this objective since 2008. So I'm wondering, Helen, 
when you were at the university, you were not only studying psychology, but environmental management. Was the psychology part of healing yourself? You did work as a social worker as well. How does psychology come into the work of the Ray Pertz Foundation? The reason why I did that, first of all, was my mother. She thought I was tormented, and she encouraged me to go ahead and study psychology to get out of healing and to understand people's opinions and why women are scared of speaking out. She wanted me to specialize in psychology, to study people's brain and to understand their troubles. And Because, for example, few women like me are, are able to speak out about rape because they feel it's shy. It's, it's something devaluable. You can never gain your repetition again if you tell the community that you've been raped. So my mom came up and said, Helen, I want you to be free. I want you to release yourself. Do a course that will help you heal, help you understand and help you express your, express yourself to the community and work out for these women. The reason why I did psychology is to be able to speak out to people and people understand me and they give me their views, especially women and children that have been tormented and they have no say, to build confidence in them. And do you think it actually helped you to heal? Yes, it did. <laughs> That's good to know, because I think many people go a lifetime feeling victimized. It seems to me that you've taken the work, and Helen Nkuse has has taken the injury that happened to her, and she's turned it into healing for other people around her, which is, I think, the greatest form of healing that we can have in the world. You also studied environmental management, and that maybe is not obvious how that fits with your work for human rights. Could you explain how environmental management is part of the work also of the Ray Pertz Foundation? Basically, uh, with environmental management, it covers the wide area, the people, the population, the talk of people towards the environment and the maintenance of the environment, then the degradation part of it. The reason why I came up with that, uh, having grown up in that village, there was lots of beauty. I saw myself like living along the rip, the evil things that had done to women. We had a beautiful environment. We had all fruits, wonderful trees and everything that made a good environment for feeding. Like we could not go hungry as children. But as I kept on growing, I saw people really finishing up all these trees, the wonderful trees, the fruit, beautiful fruit. You look for a fruit like pomegranates. We know we used to have pomegranates in my village. But now if you look out, you find none. You don't have a tree. We used to have cocoa. All those things, we are all, they all vanished. They got finished. So when I was growing up, I really admired to build up that thing also. You know, I was really attached to my community. Like I wanted it to maintain it to maintain it in a way that I could, we could live peacefully with the environment and people. For example, in that village, uh, in that forest, that evil forest that happened to have caused my fate that day, it was full of trees. Tonight, as I speak, they're just replanting them. Actually, I had to, uh, we came together with the board members and we leave from the government 220 hectares of land to plant trees again because all these trees were all cut down by the people. It meaning that environment was being damaged and people were not concerned. And we were experiencing a lot of environmental degradation. Last year we had a lot of famine due to environmental changes that has been happening. So with such things that were really causing my community to go into a situation of typical poverty, 
that we ex- my mama that had experienced years ago in like 1970s i was like no i should do courses that can help me develop my community that is why i opted for environment management also i'm assuming and this i saw when i was in togo when there's more people and the water is polluted, women and children have to walk increasingly distant to distant places to get water or to get wood to burn. So that with the decrease in the trees right near your village, Helen, I'm assuming that that means that the people who are gathering wood walk further and further in order just to be able to cook their supper. So it's probably true that you've seen environmental changes happening which have made the life harder and harder for people as well. Is that true? Yes, it's really true. For me, in my community, since my area, I, of course, some people were walking from far to come and fetch water. When there is feminine, the real sunshine, like all the wells have dried up, women have to wake up at 4 a.m., 3, 12 in the night, go in the bush to wait for water, the little water that's coming out of the well. That is how desperate they can go for. They have walked, let me say, two kilometers away from their home. They come to the well to wait for water in that night. Remember, we don't have electricity. There is no solar panels. You have to use either torch that is so expensive for these ladies to maintain because you have to buy dry cells. Some of those use firewood. They get a firewood that is burning and they walk with it to go into the bushes to look for water in the night when the water has dried up. And fetching firewood means traveling at night and even going to people's gardens, whereby you find that some of them have been attacked. Because remember, this land is always belonging to someone else. Have you seen climate change effects locally there in Uganda, where you live? Yes, I have. I've seen a lot of changes, yeah. For example, as I was telling you, those trees, there's been a lot of changes. Like We used to have like rainy season. We have two rain seasons in Naya, but now you can find it can go only once a year. That is when you experience it. Like last year, it rained only once in March, and it never rained again. A rain season never came up again until this year in March. So you are experiencing climate change happening. I assume that part of the cycle is the forests that are being cut down and used and destroyed. Because there's fewer forests, there's more carbon in the atmosphere, which helps change the climate further, which means that rain happens in unpredictable ways, which means that you have fewer forests. So there's a horrible cycle that goes about there. I assume you studied that at the university as well. Yes, I did. And so now you're engaging in forest reforestation. Is that reforestation part of the Ray Pertz Foundation? Yes, it is. So tell me about the other programs you've had for Ray Pertz and how they've been effective, what lives they've changed. What has happened so far? Ray Pertz Foundation has a school we are operating in. It's called Community, Community Primary School. We are dealing with orphans. We have a total number of 47 orphans right now, as I speak. These are typically orphans with no relatives that are willing to support them. So they are independently living with us, with no one else there to look out for them. We have also, uh, we, this school basically, why we call it community, we bring in parents that are vulnerable, totally single mothers, grandmothers that have lost their children and have left behind their grandchildren. We bring them to our school, come and study on a little offer 
they only bring maybe a kilogram or let's say 10 kilograms of maize, that is corn, and they study for free. We provide them with stationary books and sanitary pads for the grown-up girls. We help them. Those are the children that are coming. The total number of children we have in that school is 300 children. We are supporting them to make sure that they get a living. And then we also have a vocational school where we help the dropout boys and girls. We do, we do terraling, terraling, and then we do carpentry, yielding. We have a lot of activities that we are doing for the youth and the children. And then for the women, we are, we, we are trying to empower them to make sure they can sustain themselves even without men. We brought on women that are totally vulnerable, women that have been abandoned, women that are suffering domestic violence by their husbands. These are women that are married to men that are drunk. So we put them uh, on support. We help them. We created microfinance projects that are little on a, and then on a village level. Sorry, on a village level, we do savings. We call it circle community uh, village circle. We do a little bit of savings with them so that we can be able they can be able to sustain themselves and their children even when there is no support from their husbands. Then we do sexual reproductive health education, counseling, and guidance for girl child, and even the youth, the young boys that are willing to come and join on board, and we work with them together. We're helping these girls make sure they earn their living through education, and we tell them the dangers of early marriage, early sex, and everything. And how has the village, how have the girls, how have the people reacted to the education you're doing? Are you seeing changes happening? Yes, I do have a change. We actually had a graduate last year, a child that we supported. She graduated last year. She's there on my Facebook account. You can look up for her. Then we, we have boys that have graduated into carpentry. They're doing very good furniture. And then we have those ones who are making good, strong gates through yielding. The girls are doing the fashionable design. We've empowered a lot of women and children through this. We've seen an impact. And actually, I've gotten people calling up to me and they're like, Helen, thank you. We've, I've seen people appreciating my work. And even these elder women that have seen me growing up that have been supportive, maybe those ones who used to give me water when I was coming back from school, they're really appreciating the work I do. I've been able to push, to take back their grandchildren back to school. So there is a very good impact and I'm so grateful. And what about the rate of sexually transmitted diseases? Is there an impact in that? I don't know how severe the AIDS epidemic has been in your region, there by Uganda or in your village area. Have you seen education going on in that? Is sexually transmitted diseases something that people are becoming able to talk about and prevent? Yes, uh, we've talked about it and uh, we've uh, sensitized people the dangers and the rate of HIV at before, like around 2004 to 2008, there was high rampant of HIV transmission in my country, my, my region. But I talk now, at least girls and boys, okay, youth have come up and they know that there is an idea of using a condom. We've given out free condoms to the youth, eh, to the boys, because you can never stop them to do what they want. So we've given them the condoms with sensitize them about early marriage, early sex, and also having multiple partners. There is a, uh, a good percentage that these boys at least and girls have, uh, uh, th- there is a chance that it has reduced. And at least the number of young children giving birth has, it's not like before. 
My understanding is, Helen, that you grew up as Catholic. I grew up Catholic as well. And when I grew up, one of the things that they told us is that Catholics are not supposed to use birth control. And so a condom would not be a good thing. Do you run into resistance in your area because there are Catholics or other groups who think that by encouraging people to use contraceptives, it means you're encouraging them to have sex? Yes. Actually, in my country, Catholic, they don't believe in contraceptives. So I've encountered a lot of issues like that. And actually, even the men themselves don't really like using condoms. As a man, I'll say I understand that. It's not really enjoyable for anybody to do that. But of course, it's much worse to have a, a pregnancy that you can't support or to have a disease that's going to ruin your life. So <laughs> amongst the choices, it's certainly the lesser of the evils. But I don't think anyone really enjoys even taking the pill or any other form of contraception. It's not for enjoyment that we do those things. It's because they produce a better end. So the attitude of the Catholic Church in Uganda still opposes contraception or condoms or those kind of things? Yes, they do. They oppose them. And what about the other kinds of Christians? I think you identify now as a born-again Christian. You attend many different churches. Is the general attitude towards contraception there positive, negative? How is it looked at? For the born-again Christians, they don't uh, allow the teens to come into, into use of contraceptives until someone has finished university or oh, you're above 18. So for the young children, for the teens between 12 and 17, they're against, about, against using contraceptives. That must be very difficult then for you as part of Rape Hurts Foundation to be encouraging people to think about condoms. How do you prevent sexually transmitted diseases when 15-year-olds want to have sex and the, the churches in particular are, are discouraging them from using contraception? That must be a big struggle that goes on. Do you end up getting support for the Rape Hurts Foundation from churches or from Muslims or from Native people? Where does your support come from? Because I imagine there's many people in many such groups who are torn. I'm sure many of them want to discourage violence, but maybe they then don't like your attitudes about contraceptives or maybe they're not concerned about the environmental issues that you are concerned about. There's so many conflicting, perhaps, objectives. Do you get support from many religious or spiritual groups locally? Yes, I get uh, support from the born-again Christians about the use of condoms, especially for the people above 18. They are comfortable with it to talk about it. And then also the community people. Uh, actually, I don't really get the support from the, for, for example, the, some Catholics that are not the heads of the Catholic Church, the other Catholics that are normal, like people, the congregants, the congregation, I get people from the congregation at least who come on because they know what their children have gone through and they're like, regardless of what the church is doing, can do something aside and we support these children from doing. So I've gotten people from the community themselves supporting this and en encouraging women to go out for, for contraceptives instead of having a, lot, a large number of children that they cannot support. We've encouraged them through the community and the people because we've sensitized people on our board, you find that we have a lot. We have even Muslims, we have Catholics, we have Bonaguen Christians, we have Anglicans. We all come on board and we agree on one factor that, no, we should do something for these women. She's only uh, 25. She's having five kids. 
why does she need a, ten, a, a sixth kid? So we speak to them. You send someone she believes in, for example, an elder woman who understands what this woman is going through, to tell her, can you please uh, go and uh, talk to this lady about this and this, counsel her, and she, really they understand. So the religion in my area, I would say in my community, they are being supportive, but not as church as a whole, a few of them. Yeah, individuals throughout the churches. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to talk to you for quite a while more, Helen, but I think that we'll allow people to go to your website, rapehurts.org, or to your Facebook account, Rape Hurts Foundation, where they'll find it on Facebook. Both those links, folks, of course, are on nordenspiritradio.org. We've been speaking with Helen Nukuse, also with last name Tanyinga. You can look at all of those names. They're linked via our website. She's a psychologist, a mother to hundreds, a social worker, teacher, a human rights defender, and she's the founder of the Rape Hurts Foundation in Uganda. She's got a powerful story to tell. She took the injury that happened to her, and she has turned it into healing for the world. And I'm so thankful that you do that work, Helen. I'm so thankful you're finding the support in your community to do this. I know it's an uphill struggle that you're going through. I know that it's invaluable work that you're doing at the same time. So I'm grateful that you're able to put the hours and the heart into such important work and transforming the world. Thank you so much for doing that work, and thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate And again, folks, the links are all on nordenspiritradio.org. Thanks to Catherine Thomas for production assistance on today's program, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice